Amen. 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 Uh, we, um, good morning. We're, we're, um, we're shifting back to Malachi this morning. Um, I'm just looking at our Victory youth. They've, they've had me now for Sunday school five weeks in a row. And at one point, one of the kids who shall remain nameless said, you know, Sunday morning, I, I, I come in and I hear you say a bunch of words in Sunday school. And then when you preach, I hear you say a bunch of more words. And that's Sunday morning. <laughs> um, so I, um, yeah. So you're hearing me say a bunch more words this morning, Victor Youth. Um, that's quite a way to describe it, isn't it? Um, but uh, so we're, we're shifting um, from Malachi. We, um, we, we just did four weeks on faith and sexuality. And, um, and that was an interruption to this series on, on Malachi. And, and so what we want to say about that, of course, is that we, we are in no means saying that now, now case closed, we've dealt with faith and sexuality um, and we're just going to refer you back to those sermons. No, um, what, what we say to you is that, and what we continually tried to say throughout is that um, in that sermon series, we hope to begin and open uh, a conversation um, and, and by God's grace, some healing and, uh, and some newness and some renewal in our community as a result. And so we see that as a beginning point. So we just want to continue to invite you as you think about those sermons, um, as you think about the discussions you've had, to, um, given the nature of that conversation, to just come and talk to, to some of us, um, certainly Angelo and I, the elders, somebody in your small group. Um, and, and we also want to say that we're hoping to open up some venues to, to have more dialogue together about um, other questions surrounding that. So please know uh, that, that, that that's our mindset about it. So we come now to, to Malachi, and um, I want to read, read the passage for you this morning. This is Malachi chapter 3. Um, starting in verse 6 through 12. Uh, and, and let me read it for you. I, the Lord, do not change. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. There you go. Spend the next year with verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. The Lord of hosts, as some other translations uh, say. But you ask, how are we to return to you? This, uh, and I'll say more about this. It, this is not a... a Lord, help us. We're so eager to... No, this is, there's a little bit of, of snarkiness in this response. Uh, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your, the crops, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, 
for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Dad, I can always count on you for that. Thank you. Uh, so just a, a little ba- background reminder, what's going on here. The people, um, the people of Israel have returned from exile, uh, and they're returned back to the land. And what, what they're about right now is to try and reestablish the old ways of, of being God's people. Uh, but, but there's a lingering sense that both God has not yet fully returned to them, and they are not yet wanting to fully return to the old ways uh, the ways that God has commanded them to live. And, and the people, and in particular, if you remember back, the priests uh, have been pretty careless in reestablishing the ways of God um, in their worship. And there's a sense in which there's, there's, they're just going through the motions. Uh, they've been exiled for many, many years, and now they're coming back. And all is not well, and yet they have a sense that they should be doing something uh, and, and so, actually, we've been, what we've been trying to address and see in, the, in, these, uh, in, in Malachi is that there's, there's, there's an apathy that's set in among the people. And that's kind of these exchanges. If you go back, the, the way the, the prophet is structured is there's these sort of back and forth, like we just read. Um, there'll be an accusation, and then there'll be a question and answer, and, and through that we'll see we hear God's word to his people. Um, but that apathy is being met with God's extraordinary love. That's sort of the overarching theme. The apathy of the people is met with his extraordinary love. And actually, we hear that in verse 6. It's sort of a, verse 6 is kind of a setup of what all of Malachi is, is about. I, the Lord, do not change, so you descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. Uh, and then verse 7, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. So it, it, if you're noticing, there's two unchanging things, two things that are constant. One, God's character and his faithfulness and his commitment to his people. Unchanging. Uh, and, and because of that, his people are not destroyed. That's unchanging number one. Unchanging number two, less a good thing. The people are unchanging and they're turning away from God. Uh, and yet God is unchanging in his faithfulness even as Israel is unchanging in their apathy. Uh, and so... Uh, so each, each of these exchanges has something at the root of the apathy. And this morning's root issue is money. Money is at the root of the issue. Uh, you, you can see um, in verse 7, this plays out. Uh, God says, return to me and I will return to you. And then Israel replies, as I said, how will we return to you? And, and um, all the commentators, all, they all note that any time that the Israelites are replying to God in Malachi it's always one of a little bit of self-defensiveness. They are not asking because they're ready to own up to their their issue or their sin. It's always a deflection. Uh, So I was thinking about maybe um, an example of how you might have heard this. Um, Maybe you've heard something like this. Um, How was I supposed to know that cleaning my room meant the closet as well? Just kind of a random thing I made up. Never heard that before ever in my life. You know, it's that kind of a question, right? Um, I'm now wanting to go on and tell you all the other ones that I have stored away. But I love my children, so I won't do that. But you've all asked that sort of question, right? It's a a question that's asked out of defensiveness um, than than genuine inquiry. And God gets very specific in his response. You see, 
Um, he says, will a mere mortal rob God? So it's, it's sort of a strange leap. We want to return to you. That's, that's, that's sort of the, the question and answer. Return to me. How can you do it? And God answers snarkiness, snarkiness with, um, with sort of a penetrating insight. So be careful what you, what you ask for, right? Uh, will, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? And then, and then how is that even possible? And God says, in your tithes and offerings. So it's a strange idea to rob God. Uh, it's unlikely that, um, that any of you walked in here this morning and you identified that as a major problem in your life. And if I would just stop robbing God, you know, then, then I would be righteous. Um, so what does that mean? How is that even possible? Well, um, the, the, the way to make sense of it is the only way to rob God with what you possess by how you use your possessions um, is if what you have is not actually yours in the first place. That's the only way it makes sense. Our, ki- our children are having a, a good time. Uh, uh, the, the only way... The only way for you to rob God is if what you have, what you call your own this morning, is not actually yours to begin with. Otherwise, it's sort of nonsensical to say that you can rob God. It's a little bit like saying you're going to steal the ocean. You know, you, you, it, it, it doesn't make sense. You can't do it. Uh, and, and this is actually the reality of the scriptures teach that um, all of life, from, from the ground under our feet to the breath in your lungs right now to the money in your checking account, um, all of it is a gift. All of it is given to you. Uh, the circumstances of your life, the gifts that you have, uh, the gifts that you have to earn the money that you have, uh, the strength with which you labor, it is all received from God. Um, First Chronicles Twenty-nine, eleven. David declares, "Everything in heaven and earth is yours. We have only given you what comes from your hand. We have only given you what comes from your hand." So, if it's true, then how we use our wealth, um, how we use our money, is not actually a matter of our personal preferences, but it's it's to be based on God's intention and in God's wisdom for us. And, and this, by the way, is, as we saw in the last uh, sermon series, this is true of everything, not just our money. It's true of our bodies. It's true of our time. If it's given to us, then, then we're responsible to God um, for it. So what's God's intention for, for um, Israel's wealth and their, their money? Um, it's, it's this tithe, right? This 10% tithe, 10% of all that they've reaped. Uh, God has an intention for them. You're to give 10% um, and for two main purposes. There's two main purposes uh, that God gives the people. He commands them to tithe. Uh, The first one is it's a perpetual reminder of of all actually what we just said. Uh, Israel's freedom as a people in the place that they are in the presence of God um, is is rest on God's deliverance, his exodus uh, from slavery, from captivity in Egypt. And so Israel lives day by day on the basis of that gift. Uh, and the tithe is there as a part, in part to remind them of that, that they live on the goodness of God alone. Uh, it's, a, it's another way, actually, of just keeping verse 6 in their face. I the, I, the Lord, do not change. 
I, I'm the deliverer. I'm the one who gave you the land that you're on. So tithe to remember. Remember that, that what you have is from me. So that's, that's the first purpose of the tithe. Uh, the second um, is, is also so for, the, for the blessing and the flourishing of the people of Israel. Uh, the, the tithe was used mainly for three things. So it would not just sit in a storehouse, it just accumulating. Uh, when the people brought their tithe, it was used for the good of the people in three ways. The first way, it was used um, to, for the livelihood of the priests. Uh, the, the, the priest, the full-time ministry of the priests and the Levites. Secondly, and importantly, the, the tithe was also used to provide for those who could not provide for themselves, for the, for the foreigner in the land, for the fatherless and the widow. Uh, no one was to go without in, in Israel. And so the tithe would be there to distribute to them. And, and finally, and kind of surprisingly to myself, I'll, I'll be honest as I was reading this, uh, the, the tithe also helped facilitate the celebration of God's people. Uh, it was the potluck, or it supplemented the potluck. Uh, but more than that, I would, it, go read Deuteronomy 14 uh, and, and be a little bit alarmed by the degree to which God tells the people to celebrate. I mean, maybe you shouldn't, maybe, I shouldn't be surprised. I don't know. I don't know why it surprised me. But, but uh, they, they collected tithes so that they, the people of Israel are to celebrate. And of course, there's many co- uh, occasions for that. Um, but these are the three purposes that God gave for, his, for the people. And so, so why, why, do we, why do we cover what God's intention is for, that, uh, for the tithe and for their wealth? Um, it's because it's important to know that um, God is not just being sort of stingy with the people. Uh, this is not, he's not claiming robbery because God really needs what's in that storehouse. Uh, he's caring for his people and calling them back. Um, because their tithe, as we said, remember, it, rem- it reminds them of who they are, of the story that they're a part of from generation to generation. And, and it reminds them, too, of their obligation to their neighbor, to the people. And so this is why, if it seems strange to you that God would pin wealth onto a return to himself, this is why. It's not just accumulation. It's to remember who they are and to remember who they are, their responsibility, their obligation to one another. So that's the, that's the premise of giving. That's the premise of giving, right? If God, is, God has given us everything, then, then what we give, then, then he, has, he has authority over how we use what we have. Now, now the problem of greed then uh, is very real. And, and so, um, so let's talk about it in this way. That the same principle of giving, uh, that all we have is, is still, of course, true of us today. Um, and we'll talk specifically about tithing um, in a little bit, which I know you're all looking forward to. Um, but, but before we do that, um, like the Israelites, right, how we use our wealth communicates something about who we belong to and, and who we are as, as people. And, and I, I think it's important to recognize that I think that's actually really hard for us to believe in, in our, our day and age. Uh, it's really hard for, for us to believe that how we use our wealth is actually that significant. Um, that, it, that it really does have to do with worship, right? Your, your story, who you are as a person, your, your wealth is a form of worship. 
Uh, and I think it's, it's hard to believe that because, because what, what does money do? What, is, what does wealth do? It, it has a blinding effect. Uh, it's, it's far more subtle than, than I think some of the villains on TV would let us to believe. Uh, greed typically does not rear its head in just purely evil villains who want to rob the biggest bank in the world or whatever the premise is of that, you know, that movie. Um, money and greed are, are kind of have that uh, a blinding effect in, different, in a way that's different from other sins. So, um, so Paul says, as we, uh, we, we, probably, we looked at um, in the past sermon series, is flee from sexual immorality. What, why? Because it, it's, sexual immorality is not something that, so, that, that, that hides, right? We can generally see it. Um, we generally know it in ourselves and around us. Um, anger, right? Anger is deeply felt. Most of the time, you're not surpri- it's not a surprise to you when you're anger, angry. Um, it, it, it rises up into you and, and, and you sense it. Um, violence is not hard to identify. Few people are surprised to learn that they're a violent person. Um, usually you're, you have some awareness of it, right? Um, it's more in your face. Greed, greed, though, hides, right? The way we use our money, it hides, it folds into our habits and into our hearts, and, and, and eventually it sort of disappears in a way. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example of this, and perhaps you've heard this before. I'm always blown away by this. It, and this, this, this survey data has not changed for as long as I've, I've been aware of it. Uh, 2015, a Pew survey um, surveyed Americans about, uh, about themselves and their class standing. Like what social class they belong to. Have you heard this before? Um, how do Americans see themselves? Uh, lower, middle, upper class. We, we're, we're quite blind to ourselves. Listen to this. Uh, only 10% of Americans said that they, were, they would consider themselves low class, lower class. Uh, 1% responded and identified themselves as upper class. So what that means, uh, just do a little math, 89% of Americans think that they're middle class, which uh, may not reflect greed necessarily, but it does reflect how blind we are to our own financial standing, doesn't it? I mean, that, that just can't be true. Unless there's somebody here who can debunk, maybe there's a sociological thing that I'm missing, but 89% of Americans can't be middle class. Uh, and, and so it's just another evidence. We don't quite see ourselves. We don't quite see our, our financial standing. Um, we don't see our abundance um, in the way that probably we should. Uh, and, and, you know, okay, so maybe, maybe that doesn't convince you. I mean, one way to, to sort of realize um, how blind you can be to, to the way that wealth and, and greed have consumed you um, is I would just invite you to go move sometime. And I'm not trying to tell on my family, apart from any other family, but um, if you were to take all the possessions in our home and, um, and put them on a lawn, uh, maybe the lawn outside, I, it, would be, it would be sort of a, a stunning dressing down of like how much uh, we've accumulated um, over the years. And largely things that we don't, we don't need at all. Um, now, I feel very comfortable sharing that with you all because I know that from having moved a few of you that that's true of everyone here. The match of family is not corner of the market on consumption. Um, there, are, there are literally boxes and boxes of things in your home right now 
that are evidence of your just blindness to your own consumption and greed. In a stunning way. Uh, and perhaps this is why Jesus says in Luke 12, he, uh, Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And, and so why is it so hard to see um, our, our, the greed in our own hearts? I think it's in part a matter of what you know to know about reality, about the way things are. Um, because to look upon the greed in your heart means that you have to begin to open your, up your, yourself to the idea that, that perhaps what's keeping you from contentment is not that you don't have enough from God. You see, this is a very hard thing to face. It's a very hard thing to face that, that maybe my main problem is not, perhaps, is not that I don't have enough. It's not that I don't have enough money. It's not that I don't have enough time. It's not that I don't have enough wealth, enough comfort, enough success. The, the main, one of the main issues may be in your heart that, that you're walking around clutching with a closed fist what has been given to you and you're acting like it's actually your own. It's not that you don't have enough. It's the way in which you're, you're clutching what's been given to you as your own and not been given to you by God. And so I think our instinct is so often to, to try to satisfy our discontent in life by seeking to gain more and to do more rather than, than looking in and asking ourselves about the condition of our own soul. So greed, greed hides it. It folds into our hearts. Um, and so how do we get free of it? Um, how do we get free of a life of robbing God? Uh, let me just read again to you, uh, verse 10 through 12. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will, be not, there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So God tells the people, test me. He's essentially saying, see how good it is to walk in my ways. Bring the whole tithe that I require um, and here, the, the house, right, into my house, that's the word for temple. So bring, bring everything into my temple. And the storehouse is the treasury. That word, it, it's, stra it's, it's a strange thing. I don't know why. Um, maybe there's somebody smarter than, yes, likely sm someone smarter than me understands why it's storehouse and not treasury. But every other place, it, treasure, it's about treasure. Bring the whole treasure to the temple. God tells them to bring all I've required to the treasury of the temple. And when you do, the windows of heaven will open. Uh, the floodgates is actually, this word is the same word that's used to describe um, the, the flood in Genesis. Remember the, the, the flood, the heavens opened. So get away from the idea that this is sort of your little, you know, second story bathroom window. And there's just like a little stream coming out. Um, the broad side of heaven will open with blessing when you walk in my ways, in the same way that God covered the earth 
and flooded it, so I will pour out blessing on you when you walk in my ways. See, a fight with you, I know in your, this is the fight I had all, all week in thinking about this. I'm still back to the second floor bathroom window. I'm like, yeah, there's a little bit, you know. There's a hose, a stream of hose. God says, I will open up heaven's blessing upon my people. Abundant blessing. And God tells the people, test me in this. Uh, it's the testing, the same kind of testing you might to test a precious metal. You, you put it in the fire and see how it'll stand up. God says, test me in this. See, I will prove to be true. I will prove to be faithful. God blesses, he says. I will bless your open hand. You bring what I require, I will bless that open hand. And then the result in verse 12 is a reverse of the covenant curse. God says, return to me with your tithe. Forsake your greed. Open your hands to me and I will fill, I will fill those open hands with heaven. So, so if we were to stop there, um, you have a choice this week. Will you open your fist to, to God and receive the blessing, or will you keep it closed? You have, you have a simple choice, brothers and sisters, just either open or close. That's it. One sounds pretty good. One sounds pretty miserable. Uh, but, um, of course, what the scriptures tell us is that it's actually, it's actually not so, so simple, is it? Um, and, and what you would find this week is if you tried to do that, inevitably, whether, whether you started the week with the hand open, eventually you would be back here. And you'd wake up in the morning here, and you would constantly come back here, and you might stay here for a long time. Um, And it has to do with the fact that we are, in ourselves, we are unable to open our hand to God. We're unable to to uncurl and and leave the fist behind. And in part, there's there's also, so there's greed there, but there's also fear there too, isn't there? Um, You might not be able to identify greed in your heart, but certainly, if you're like me, you can identify fear. And perhaps you've already felt it. The, the reluctance to accept that God will really do what he said he will do. The, the, the vulnerability that this requires to say, Lord, I'm going to entrust you with my life and with my wealth and with all I have. Um, and we, we become bound to our own way of living uh, to a fault, to a point where we will refuse blessing. Uh, last night, um, my, uh, my family we went to see Les Mis uh, and... Um, so, so Les Mis is like, it's just, a, it's a masterpiece. Like I'm telling you something you don't know, but, um, but what my favorite, one of my favorite characters in Les Mis, if you don't know the story, there's a character um, named Javert. Oh, see, I even, I've heard it. So now I've got a little bit of that, you know, Javert. Um, and, uh, so Javert is Inspector Javert, uh, just, without spending the next three hours sort of going over the whole story, here's what we'll do. Inspector Javert is after Jean Valjean. Inspector Javert is a diligent man of the law, uncompromising, no compromise. You break the law, you, you suffer the consequences. Um, and to the point where there is not even, a, not even an ounce of compassion in his heart because he's chosen to live, but it's a protective rule. See, what you realize is he's pursuing Jean Valjean to hold him to a crime, 
um, for years and years and years, and he's bent on bringing justice. And in some ways, there's something really admirable about that. Uh, but, but in the end, it completely breaks him because he can't open his fist. He can't open his fist when he sees somebody who, who actually loves and who has compassion. Because he's so bound by, by the fear of breaking the law, right? He's so bound to the rule that he's made for himself that, that he's got, his fist remains closed. And when he confronts Jean Valjean, who's, who, who has an act of self-giving, it's only in that act of self-giving that forces Javert to confront the fact that he's living his life with a closed fist. Javert thinks he's doing the right thing, but really he's living his life with a closed fist. And the only thing that can open up Javert's hand is an encounter with deep, self-giving love. And tragically, Javert can't handle it. And instead of opening his hand, he chooses to kill himself. And so, brothers and sisters, what, what we have, what we receive this morning in the face of our, of our, of our closed fist that we can't open is, is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the, the, the one who came and gave his life for the sins of the world. The most beautiful act of self-giving love comes to face your closed fist. Because you actually can't open it yourself. He came to serve and not be served. He comes to actually be the open hand for us that Israel couldn't be, that you and I can't be. And when he gave up his life on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for our sin, instead of receiving blessing, Jesus Christ receives death that we might receive life. 2 Corinthians 8 says, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for our sake, he became poor so that through his poverty, we might become rich. And on the third day, Jesus rose and in and through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, the heavens have poured out blessing far greater than we could ask or imagine. It's such a great amount of blessing and love that we can be received this morning, that at one point Paul prays for the church that they would have strength just to comprehend how immense the blessing of God is in and through Jesus Christ. Imagine that. You need strength to actually comprehend how amazing and broad and wonderful is the blessing that we have in Christ. And at the center of that blessing is that the curse of sin and death that keeps our hand closed into a fist has been defeated. And so, so what that means, brothers and sisters, is that you, you no longer have to sin. Did you know that? In Jesus Christ, you no longer are bound to sin. You're no longer bound to greed and to the blinding flecks of wealth. A Christian is a person who knows and lives according to the blessed reality of Christ's resurrection. That, that actually what's true about reality today because of Jesus Christ is that, um, is that what you give up with an open hand, you receive back in blessing. That's the nature of the universe. It's not just a Christian idea. The nature of reality is such that what you give up with an open hand it comes back to you in blessing. What goes down into death comes up into life. 
what you clutch and hold on to is the only thing that you will lose. And by God's grace, you can follow Jesus and live as his an apprentice in this reality that God blesses the open hand. And so, and so the, 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 what does this mean for us practically? Um, what does it mean to, to have an open hand? How do we practice this? Um, should you tithe? <laughs> it's sort of the, the question that faces Israel and faces us. Um, should you give your wealth as an act of worship that others could be blessed? Yes. Yes, the scriptures say yes. Um, and, and, and of course, j- just, just quickly, um, the, the New Testament actually doesn't offer a clean, say, do this exactly prescription, but it does give us a few principles. Can I just give them to you? And then, and then we'll close. Um, how, how, how should I think about my giving, my money, my wealth? How do I give it away? Um, how, do, what, how do I think about tithing? Um, just three things quickly. Uh, you should give. You should give willingly. Uh, not reluctantly or under compulsion, the scriptures say, but God loves a cheerful giver. So in light of what we've all, all we've said, you give willingly because of what Christ has done for you. You give even out of difficulty, even, even under affliction. You give willingly because of what Christ has done for you. Um, so that's the first principle. Um, the second one is that you give in proportion. So um, what you give and what your neighbor gives um, and what the person sitting next to you might be different. But the scriptures give, give a sense in which in proportion to what you have, you give. And so what that means is that um, it's not going to be the same thing for everybody. And what that also means for you teenagers is that the minute you begin to make money, you should begin to give in proportion with what you have. And even if it's $5, right? That's the idea. If you're making it doesn't matter how much you're making. You give in proportion. That each may prosper, right? As each may prosper. Um, and and uh, just, just a quick word on that too, uh, families in particular. You know, one of the, the blessings of electronic giving is that it simplifies the process a lot, but it also hides the process too, doesn't it? Um, and so I would just encourage you families um, to, to maybe create a, a strange and yet not so strange uh, practice of telling your kids what you're giving and having a moment of prayer once or twice a month or however often you give and mark it for them. Uh, because otherwise it will just be a, an invisible transaction in your bank account and your children have no sense that this is a, this is a spiritual act of worship of how I'm using my wealth. So it might feel a little strange, like we're going to sit here and mark something that's happening online, um, but I would just invite you to, to do that with them. Um, and if you have ideas, we, we, let's as a community think about how to do that well. So willingly, proportionally, finally, generously, um, generously. Uh, the, the, the three principles I gave you earlier about how God used the tithe in the Old Testament uh, remain for us. Um, give generously that, that the church um, may, may flourish, that we may have worship services and prayer, and, and, um, and Angela and I may have a salary and whoever else we need to, to bring on in the future, um, that the church may function. Uh, give generously that, um, that we might bless our neighbors and bless the community, um, as Daryl was just talking about. How can we give in such a way that we could be a blessing to Montgomery County and Philadelphia? Uh, c- could we, as a church, be captivated, captivated by a vision of let every single mom within our region not be in want because of the generosity of God's people? 
So we give willingly, we give proportionally, we give generously. Um, and finally, that, that we might be a church of hospitality. Wouldn't it be great if people came to Bridge because the food was so good? I mean, I'm kind of kidding a little bit, but you know what? Like, we can be such a hospitable church that people are welcomed in to the body of Christ because of that, that, that richness that we give, that we're able to provide for one another. So as you practice this discipline of giving, you will break the pattern of this world and of your own clenched fist. Um, and instead, you'll find growing contentment in giving rather than receiving because you'll begin to live out of his abundant grace. Uh, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, keep your lives free from love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So again, as you give, what you'll find is, is contentment and blessing in the Lord. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me pray for us. Take, Lord, and receive all our liberty, all our memory, all our understanding, all our entire will, all that we have, and call our own. You have given it to us, Lord, and to you, Lord, we want to return it. Lord, we say that everything is yours, and we say, do with it, do with it what you will. Give us only your love and your grace, we pray. That is enough for us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.